was our trough. Wow. Did you hear that? 275 million lost people in America? Does that sound insane to you? We've got a lot of work to do, huh? In case you don't know, one of the things about being Southern Baptist, we pride ourselves on missions uh, locally, nationally, and internationally. And so part of our budget goes to the cooperative program, which helps support missionaries here in our country and across the world. So thank you for your regular giving to our church budget. And then a couple times a year, we have special offerings, like around Easter, it's the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which focuses on missionaries here in America. And let's face it, I think America's probably become one of the biggest mission fields in the world. <laughs> we have other countries sending missionaries to America to promote Christianity, so you know there's something up. So by doing that, that's one way we can play a part in reaching those 275 million people in America. And like Jesus is all over America, right? Maybe not. So thank you. In fact, there's also in addition to that, we have some missionaries that we support directly. Uh, the Walkers, Ben and Lana and their son Rob are church planters up in Oregon, uh, just outside of Eugene, Creswell, Oregon. And so we directly support them. In fact, we hope to take a mission trip up there this year to kind of help put boots on the ground to help them do what they're doing with their church. It's a church plant that's already planted one, I think maybe two churches now. So a great vision, a great ministry there, and great to be a part of that. I want to give a special shout-out this morning to uh, the Glenn family, uh, Michael, Blair, Hudson, Harper. Glenn just moved into their brand-new house here in Burleson, Texas. So we got them now. They belong to us. And uh, Michael was here this morning early after moving in yesterday. So, man, what? he may be on steroids or something, but he's here, right? So we're glad that he's here, a heavy caffeine. All right, so we're very excited about that. Uh, you know that we are fostering South Burleson Baptist Church. We've been talking about that for months. Uh, we're looking for 10 families to go from our church to be a part of that church for 12 months. Well, today was the day that we launched. We have a few families over there now, and this was the first day they were going to kind of be on campus to start this process. Uh, we haven't reached our 10 yet, so we're still looking for other families that would be willing to go over there and help that church reach its vision and reach young families. So if you're interested, I'd still like to talk to you about that. But this was, this was the day that we started it. Uh, also, a little bit of, um, well, before I get to that, I want to encourage you. We're about to, this afternoon, we're going to release our social media invitation for Easter. So when you see that, don't just like it, but like it, but then share it. I encourage you to share everything we do. That We, we put a lot of work into that. So share that, share our services. It's just an easy way to get the gospel out. Uh, it's an easy way to promote Jesus. So if you'll do that, that'll help tremendously. So that'll be launched about 12:15 right after service, inviting folks to our Easter. It's a video, and uh, you can help us by sharing that because we, we hope for a large crowd on Easter, both Saturday and Sunday. Um, so a little bit of, I guess, good and bad news. Uh, the good news, our production manager, Jim Bob Brown, who's been with us for seven years, done an incredible job audio, visual, lights, stage, everything, Christmas. He just throws up Christmas, you know, just like, I mean, like vomit Christmas, not throw, he doesn't just throw it up. It's very well planned. So he has actually been hired at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary to be the associate director of audiovisual. So they stole him from us. Yeah, I know. I know. Very excited for Jim Bob. He's still going to be in our church. Katie, his wife, is still uh, 
associate in our children's ministry, so they're still going to be here. Uh, but So I wanted you to know that today, uh, not next Sunday because that's Easter, but the following Sunday, the 11th, we'll have a little reception celebration for Jim Bob. This is a big deal for him, uh, and he, he's earned this kind of a role. So he's done a great job here for us. Sad to see him go, but excited to see one of our own going to do something even bigger. So we're excited for him. We'll celebrate that. So after the 11th, if anything goes wrong with lighting, audio, visual, stage, it's Jim Bob's fault. Okay? Just know that. And you can tell him that. Oh, he's here. So, all right. Uh, and then yesterday, got to uh, go and participate. Just a, briefly, uh, one, a couple of our families, uh, the Dutchkeys and Lewises and some others, did a neighbor night. You know, we've been talking about the neighbor nights. I've been challenging you to get to know your neighbors. Uh, invite them to a neighbor night. They did that. We got to stop by last night. It was great. Had a great turnout. Neighbors that, that came out to get to know one another. And so it was cool. I appreciate you guys doing that and, and taking that challenge on. And then the other part of that challenge is to invite them to our Easter services. But the whole thing, last, the neighbor night, it's all built on hospitality. It's built on just providing something, meals, snacks, snow cones, whatever, just because that's a demonstration of hospitality that opens the door for us to be able to reach people for Jesus. Again, this is not difficult. It's just being nice, just being kind to the people that are around us that opens the door for us to talk about why we do things like this and why we are who we are. This morning, we're going to observe communion. I hope you have your little communion kit with you. You're going to need that. And when you think about the reasons behind communion, if you know the story of communion that came out of the Passover meal, it was about relationships. It was about remembering of God's deliverance from, of the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery for 400 years, and Moses led them towards the promised land. But it's also about relationships, about family. It's about being together. It's about the Jewish people having a meal together. Meals demonstrate hospitality. One of the greatest things you can do to show hospitality to someone is to invite them to your home for a meal. I mean, that's like the high level, right? And so what happens in communion is, is this, if you can imagine, this is Jesus inviting us to his table because he is hospitable. In fact, I want you to just imagine with me for a moment that you are there in that room for the last supper, the first last supper. And Jesus is there and he invites us in, every one of us. No matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter how hurt we are, he, he invites all of us to come and sit at the table. And you walk in the room and it's, it's dimly lit, but it's lit with candles around the room. And you notice right there in the middle of the room is this giant long wooden table. And it's about that high off the ground. It's not very high, but around it are pillows and blankets because that's where we're going to sit. Now picture the table. There's a pitcher with wine, there's goblets all around, there's trays, there's fruit, there's vegetable, there's meat. It's a celebration. It's a meal. It's a big meal. It's a big, big deal <laughs> that we're going to have this meal together. And in these moments, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords becomes the host. And we <laughs> are his honored guests. And he invites us to come and to sit around the table because we're going to enjoy a meal together with Jesus and with one another. And so just imagine that, the one who created all things, the one that all things point to, the one who has offered to rescue us, invites us to the table. 
every one of us. Everyone is invited. We see that throughout Jesus' life. His table was open to anyone who would come. I think about Zacchaeus, right? The wee little man who climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And I remember doing that. Zacchaeus, I don't think it was accusing. I think it was Zacchaeus. Let me help you down. You come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house. Right? You know the song. So Zacchaeus, the tax collector who ripped everybody off, (laughs) who took advantage of everyone. Yet Jesus goes to his house and sits at his table. And because of that, Zacchaeus has changed. Gives everybody back their money plus tenfold. How you got that much money? Don't know. (laughs) Then there's Matthew, another tax collector, which everybody hated tax collectors. Matthew invited by Jesus, and Matthew becomes a disciple. He follows Jesus. I think about Mary. Remember Mary, the former prostitute who met Jesus? He changed her life, and so Mary comes in with this expensive bottle of perfume, and she breaks it, and she anoints his head with it. She's so emotional. She's so overwhelmed by the experience, by being near to Jesus, Tears begin to run down her face. They fall on Jesus' feet. She takes her hair and she wipes his feet with her own hair. I think about the disciples, all 12 of them, Judas included, the betrayer. (laughs) Judas is invited to the table to sit with Jesus. I mean, think about it. All 12 betrayed him, didn't they? Every one of them bailed when he was arrested. Peter showed a little strength, but in the end, he denied him too. But yet they're all invited to come and sit at the table. It wasn't the power people. It wasn't the best looking people. It wasn't the people in authority. It wasn't the people that all had it all together. It it was the broken people. It was the messed up, the jacked up, the outcast, the mean, (laughs) the evil, the betrayers. In fact, one Pharisee asked his disciples one time, why does, why does your rabbi, why does your master, why does Jesus eat with sinners? Remember what Jesus said? He's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. They're the ones that need healing. They're the ones that need a physician. They're the ones that recognize their depravity. So the table of Jesus is open to all who will come. No matter how deep the wounds, no matter how big the scars, no matter how deep the wounds you caused in someone's life, you're all invited, we're all invited to the table. In his customary fashion in the Passover, Jesus takes the bread and he begins to pass it. He breaks it, he blesses it, and then he begins to pass it around the table for all to eat. But then, but he does something different because, again, these guys, since probably 12 years old, had observed Passover. It was Jewish tradition. They'd seen the bread. They'd seen the wine. They'd seen the lamb. They'd, they'd done it all before. But this time, Jesus said, I want to I sh- shed a different light on the bread. Because this bread now, and every time you eat it from now, you're never going to forget this. This bread represents my body. In just a few days, I will be tortured. I will be mocked. I will be abused. I will be rejected. And then I will be killed. And so from now on, 
this bread that once was a remembrance of the Passover and the deliverance will now be a celebration of the deliverance of all time. Because what I'm going to do for you, the outcast, the broken, the wounded, the hurting, the arrogant, the prideful, the obnoxious, the betrayers, all are invited. If you have your little communion kit there, why don't you take the bread out? There's two layers, so it's a little tricky. Just open the top layer. Don't open the bottom yet. And take out the, the wafer. Don't eat it yet. Just take it out. In the story we're going to look at this morning, Jesus has just proclaimed, I am the bread of life which totally ticked off the Pharisees. <laughs> How can he say this? We know who he is. He's the son of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth. There's no way. Why does he say he is from heaven? How arrogant, how boastful, how blasphemous. And so they're arguing this point. As Jesus is trying to explain who he is, and now he says, in John chapter 6, verse 44, after he listens to them grumbling and complaining about what he's just done and what he just said, this is how Jesus responds. And listen to these words. These are very important. Verse 44, chapter 6 of John. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets... They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus blessed it, broke it, and shared it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Now, normally we go right to the cup. I'm going to leave you hanging for a minute. I want, the, I want the taste to linger on your taste buds. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I want you to, to taste that as we talk about it. I want to talk to you today about bread. <laughs> I've got water up here, but I'm not going to do that to you. The attributes of bread. First of all, bread is meant to be enjoyed, right? I love bread which I know is part of the problem, <laughs> right? So when you're trying to go carb-free, it's really hard. Every restaurant has some kind of bread. Every country has some kind of bread they're famous for. Robin and I have been blessed to travel many parts of the world, and everywhere we go, bread is always a, a staple. Whether it's down in South America with tortillas, I love tortillas, glad they're here. <laughs> to India, we experience naan. Oh, man, if you never had naan, you should. 
everywhere. Europe, the little, I don't know, scones or bruschetta, whatever that is called. Africa, all kinds of different bread, homemade breads. It, bread's a part of every culture. And there's a reason for that, because bread is meant to be enjoyed. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, both, the Bible says that Jesus is to be enjoyed. We're to enjoy our relationship with God. It should bring joy to our lives. When we realize, and we talk about the Easter story, when we realize what Jesus did and what he did for us and how undeserving we are, the fact that he invites us to the table should bring joy, right? Have you ever invited somebody over for, for dinner and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> well, then just don't come then, right? No, when you invite someone, you hope it's going to bring joy, whether you're a good cook or not. Just the expression of hospitality should bring joy. John Piper said in the New Testament, conversion meant discovery that Jesus was a treasure of such surpassing worth that joy would enable a new disciple to leave everything and follow him. I think that's one of the reasons that those 12 disciples left everything and followed him, because there was joy in that moment. They saw something in Jesus. He brought joy into their lives. That's why they were, one of the reasons they were willing to leave everything and follow him. Jesus is meant to be enjoyed. Did you know that? Church is meant to be enjoyed. Did you realize it? When you think about Jesus, you ought to smile. <laughs> when you realize who he is and what he's done, it should bring joy to your heart, even in the darkest of storms, right? Because you realize we don't deserve the invitation to the table. And the one who knows everything about us, <laughs> things we not even said but only thought, all that we've done in secret, in darkness, he knows. The people we've hurt. But he says, I want you to come to the table. It's a beautiful invitation. We can enjoy Jesus because he is present. We're two or more gathered, I am, right? So obviously he's here. Hopefully this morning is joyful. Even as we consider the darkest day in history, bread is offered. Normally in communion, we pass the tray, right? Before COVID, we used to pass a tray. And so it's this idea of sharing. We take communion together as a family. And so it's like a, it's like a family meal. Even people online today, we gave them the little kit so that they could join in, even though not present with us, but feel a part. That's, that's the importance of communion that is done in community. <clears throat> so it's offered. It's a gesture of friendship. In these different countries where we've traveled, we've gone into people's homes. In, in India and in Africa, in South America and other places like that, we've gone into homes that are like a six-by-six six dirt floor, this high ceiling with ten people living in it. They have nothing. Little little hot plate that they cook their meals on or a, or a coal fire in the corner. I mean, they have less than nothing. Yet guests are coming over, so guess what? They have gifts. It's usually chai tea and some form of bread, which I love chai tea. It's awesome. And I told you I love bread. Why? When you have nothing and the Americans who have everything are coming over, why would you offer them a gift? Because it is a demonstration of hospitality. I am glad that you are here. 
And you know what? It works. Even in third world countries, missing all the luxuries of home, to have someone offer you bread, thank you. It's meant to be offered. In fact, we do that, right? We bake bread and we, there's even a friendship bread, right? Anybody had a friendship bread before? It's as a starter, right? You have a starter, so you keep that starter, and you make loaves of bread and loaves of bread off that starter, and then you, the idea is you give it to someone, right? That's friendship bread. There's great significance in that. Another reason is that bread satisfies. Jesus refers to manna here, so he's, he's recalling the memories of the Israelites back to Egypt, back to slavery, back to the deliverance with Moses. If you remember the people traveling through the wilderness, they were hungry, they didn't have food, they were running out of food, God provided water, and then he provided manna. Remember manna? Every morning they would wake up, it was like dew on the ground, bread. So they would harvest that, they would take it, they would hold it, they would use it for that day. They're just supposed to take enough for the day. On the sixth day, they took twice as much because they didn't want to pick on the seventh, on the Sabbath. So God provided manna from heaven on the earth every day for the Jews to eat. Jesus proclaims in this story that I am manna from heaven. I am the eternal. I am the last manna. You're not going to need manna anymore because I am here. You will never have to hunger again spiritually. Because of Jesus, he satisfies that hungering in our soul to know who we are. Why am I here? Is this all there is? Is there more? Is there a God? All those questions, the deep questions of the soul are satisfied in Jesus. Because he is the one that invites you to the table and says you are worth something. You are worth my life. How can we take of the elements without considering what he did? Because of Jesus, I don't ever have to be alone again. Because of Jesus, there is nothing that anyone or anything can throw at me that I have to be afraid of. I don't know what death is going to be like for me, but I'm not afraid of it. Because to die is gain in Christ. This relationship truly is everything. I never have to feel empty inside, abandoned, or outcast. Even though people turn their back on me, even though people reject me, even though people hurt me, my God never will. How much more does he have to demonstrate his love to you before you accept it? He paid the ultimate price. There's nothing else he can do. There's nothing else you would ask him to do, is there? Jesus is the bread that endures forever and ever. He is the bread that fulfills and satisfies and completes our lives. We don't have to be spiritually hungry anymore. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 the Bible says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I think we 
who have gone through this pandemic can relate to this passage maybe in a new way, a different way, maybe even a deeper way. We've understood what it means to have everything that we count on taken away from us. Finances, retirement, relationships, health, all that was volatile this past year. And yet Habakkuk says, you can take all that stuff away from me and I still will have joy. Because my joy is not in those things. My joy is in the one who died for me. That is our joy. That's why it's constant. That's why it's available to all of us. Then Jesus, after he passed the bread, he took the cup, poured the wine, began to share the cup around. He said, this cup that you've, again, you've taken hundreds of times, I want to tell you something new. I want to tell you something, what it means now. This cup that you're sharing, it represents your life. The psalmist, Psalm 23, verse 5, says, my cup overflows. Well, he didn't have an actual cup. He's talking about his life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's why my cup, my life overflows. Matthew 23, talking to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. He wasn't talking about the cup that they carried around. He was talking about their lives. He called them whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside. They look religious on the outside. They look spiritual on the outside. But inside, they're dead, spiritually dead. Because they put their faith in the law, not in God. Now, we can become hypercritical of the Pharisees, but how many of us can relate to this identity? Because let's be honest, we know how to look Christian, we know how to talk Christian, we know how to sound Christian, we know how to act Christian, but inside we're dead. We know how to look loving, act loving, make people think we're kind, but inside we could care less. Inside we are decaying bones. Because it's not about dressing up the outside, right? It's not about a look. It's about an inward transformation. Once that happens, you don't have to worry about the outside. It's going to take care of itself. Once you have truly been rescued from your sins, once you've truly embraced the truth of Jesus, you don't have to fix the outside. That's going to happen. Jesus invites us to the table just like you are. You come, but I'm not going to leave you that way. That's the beauty of the cross, right? That's the beauty of the empty tomb. I love you too much to leave you in your misery and your pain and your sorrow. I died so you can be set free. Why would you pass on that invitation? The King of kings and the Lord of lords has invited you. Please come and sit at my table. Be my honored guest. There is nothing I wouldn't do to have you here. He said, this cup contains the blood of the new covenant. Back to the 
time in Egypt, the sacrificial lamb, right? Remember the 10 plagues? The last one was the death of the firstborn male. Every human, every animal. That was the last plague of the 10 plagues. And God told the Israelites, the only way you're going to survive this is if you take an unblemished sacrificial lamb, you sacrifice that lamb, you take the blood of that lamb, and you put it on the doorpost. And you make sure everybody that you love is inside that house because when the death angel comes by, if no one is covered by that blood, if they're not covered by the blood and they're the firstborn male, they're going to die. And so all the Israelites got their family and their friends into their homes. They covered the doorpost and they survived it. And that was the last plague before the people left Egypt. Jesus is calling them back because now he's telling them a new message. Listen, what I'm telling you right now, unless you are covered in the blood of this sacrificial lamb, you will die. Firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, lastborn, it doesn't matter. Unless you are covered in the blood of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, unless your sins have been washed away by accepting this gift of grace, you will die. You will spend eternity torturing, being tortured, suffering in hell. I don't know if you believe that or not, but that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the good news is once Jesus shed his innocent blood for us, there's no need. There's not going to be another lamb. He took care of it. He took care of it so he can invite us to come to his table and enjoy a relationship with him. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven through 29. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. I want to read that again. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man, a person, ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Listen to this. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So I want you to take the cup now and and take off the seal. And as you do, I want you to recognize what it represents. Don't drink it yet. But I want you to recognize that this represents... The blood of Jesus, Jesus who was innocent, sinless, perfect, unblemished, the only one that could do this for us. He did it because he loves us. And Jesus took the cup with his disciples. He says, from now on, whenever you drink of this cup, remember that this is my blood given for you. So like the communion table, this morning Jesus invites us to another wooden structure. 
This time, instead of a table, it's the cross. We're very familiar with that symbol. But I want you to imagine the cross. I want you to imagine Jesus there crucified on the cross. He's not there anymore, praise God. But just imagine him hanging there, crown of thorn on his head, stripped of all his clothes, nails in his wrists and in his feet, blood running down his face, running down his body, dripping at the bottom of the cross. And look at the people around. Look who's come. It's not the prideful, the arrogant. It's not the best. It's not the wealthy. It's not those in authority. It's the broken. It's the adulterer. It's the liar. It's the cheater. It's the abuser. It's the betrayer. It is the proud. It is the arrogant. Because everyone is invited. Everyone's invited to come to the cross. And all these people who are here, not because they're perfect, because they've realized that they are empty. They've realized that they are broken. They realize that they need to be rescued from themselves, from their own life, from what they've done. They need to be forgiven because they're guilty. And they come seeking redemption. And the invitation for those is the invitation for us. Jesus invites us to come and die. Die to ourselves. Because we cannot take care of the sin issue. We cannot forgive ourselves of our sins. Only Jesus can. And so he invites us to come and die that we might live, to come and die so that we can follow him. Jesus said, unless you take up your cross, you can't follow me. He wasn't talking about a wooden cross or a necklace. See, the cross was an instrument of torture and death. So in that imagery, Jesus paints the picture, unless you're willing to come and die to yourself, you cannot follow me. If you're here to live for you, your own life, what you think is right, your own way, you cannot follow me. The question is, are you willing to die that you might live? So I have a challenge for us. For This is Holy Week, right? Sunday is Easter. So I pray that you're focusing on Easter this week. And I just want to challenge you to take some time, five minutes, 10, 15, 50, and just meditate on the cross. We don't talk about meditation so much. Just, just meditate. Just imagine that imagery. Just close your eyes maybe or whatever. Just, just imagine Jesus hanging there on the cross. And just spend some time. Maybe get a picture or download something. Just, just look at it. Just meditate on it. And then just take a minute or two and write down the implications of the cross. Why did Jesus do it? What does it mean? What do you do about it? Whether you're a believer or not a believer, just consider the cross. 
consider why Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, would leave heaven to come and die for us. Let's pray. Father, honestly, we don't understand that kind of love. I think we'd like to think we have that kind of love, but we don't. But Father, you sent your son, your one and only son. I have a son. I can't imagine sending him to die for people, even people that would reject him. Even the people that crucified him, Jesus died for them too. All so that anyone can come to the table and enjoy fellowship, relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Father, I pray that today, this week, Easter, that many across the globe, 275 million, million Americans, millions all over the planet, this Easter would invite Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of their lives. And God, if there's anybody watching here online or anybody here on our campus that has never done that, has questions about what does that really mean that today they would seek the answers to their questions. Jesus, thank you. Words are not enough. But thank you.